Welcome back to the Global Startup Movement. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz. Today, I am joined by one of the nation's leading experts in how to turn a startup into a multi-million dollar company, Chris Hively. Chris founded MapQuest in 1988, and then after its acquisition, went on to serve in leadership positions for global brands such as Rand McNally and Accenture, to name a few. Chris entered into the startup ecosystem building arena after founding the Startup Factory in 2009 and helping to launch the Raleigh-Durham startup ecosystem into one of the top 10 in the country. Chris most recently was appointed the Entrepreneur-in-Residence for Techstars, where he is working side-by-side with the legendary Brad Feld to help startup ecosystems all over the world meet their community goals. His latest book, Build the Fort, provides insight into getting through the earliest micro-steps of starting your own business through the lens of Chris's 30 years of experiences in startups, investments, big company entrepreneurship, and community development. It was such a pleasure having Chris on the show, and despite some technical difficulties, we managed to produce a great episode. And so without further ado, I present to you Chris Hively, the entrepreneur-in-residence at Techstars and the founder of the Startup Factory. Entrepreneurship has become a global phenomenon. Uncover the stories of entrepreneurs and investors worldwide, from Sub-Saharan Africa to Silicon Valley and beyond, here on the Global Startup Movement. Now, here's your host, Andrew Berkowitz. So Chris, it's great to have you on the show. You know, obviously you're you're an expert in the space that, that we run the podcast in. So it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. You know, I'd be curious to uh, just kind of start off with one, how you ended up at Techstars and then a little bit of the story of, you know, h- how you became known as the, the startup whisperer. Well, you know, startup whisperer is a media uh, concoction that uh, a writer um, kind of dubbed me and it sounds cute and uh, maybe it makes my kids smile, but other than that, you know, what it means is <laughs> what it means is that I spend um, I've spent most of my life in and around startups from every angle. I've been an entrepreneur myself. I've been an entrepreneur inside large companies. Started kind of new units and organizations. Uh, I've been an investor, both an angel as well as ran a you know fairly sizable corporate venture capital fund. I've been um, you know, once you're an entrepreneur, you just always are helping other entrepreneurs. So you're always kind of in that mentor role. Basically, I tell people, Andrew, I have career ADD. You know, so I get bored easily. Got it. I mean, I think that's that's the true test of of any entrepreneur. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> you know, especially with with this podcast, I I quit my first corporate role about about two months in, uh, and and started this, and so I can I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, I think it's not really a choice, right? It's just something coursing through. And, uh, some of it, some of us bury it for a while, and some of us kind of, you know, let the freak flag fly. And uh, here we go. We're all entrepreneurs, you know, trying to change the world. Yeah, I agree. I think the, um, I think the key trait that I've seen in entrepreneurs all around the world that kind of m- makes them follow this path instead of having a job is just uh, the they, they don't like structure. They don't like, you know, being told what to do. And so they have no choice but to kind of go into a world where, uh, you know, the path forward isn't clear and, it, and it's really just all, all on them, right? Yeah, and I, I actually think it, it starts a half of that before that, which is that we see something 
that we know could be better or different or a value. And the place that we're sitting today, if we're sitting in a corporation, let's say, like that structure prohibits us from from work, you know, seeing this thing that we see so clearly that no one else sees yet and want to go fix it, right? And the structure and all of the bureaucracy and, you know, the hemming and hauling and all that stuff, just that just really drives us crazy because we've seen this thing, right? We have this view, right? So um, if we didn't have the view, people don't have that view. Right. They, they put in their nine to five, they come home, you know, it, the bureaucracy supports their mindset. We have uh, alternative mindsets, let's say. Right. And so I, I didn't, didn't mean to interrupt you there. So you, uh, you, you decided that entrepreneurship was the only route. Uh, and I'm assuming this was kind of the, the time period where, where MapQuest came to be, right? Yeah. So I have the uh, interesting um, background that I actually have a uh, undergraduate at and a master's degree in geography. So Andrew, I'm probably the only geographer you've only met. And uh, for some of you who are even remotely familiar with the space, you know, we now call it GIS, geographic information systems. And what I like to tell people is that I was studying GIS before we called it GIS. So MapQuest obviously was a, a huge success. Um, I'd be curious, you know, a- after the first few companies, your 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 time as an entrepreneur. When did you start to get passionate and and involved in, in more so of the the ecosystem building side? Yeah, the ecosystem. That's kind of the newest passion of mine. And what I'll share with you is, um, you don't go sign up to be an ecosystem builder. People don't typically advertise for it or recruit for it. It's 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 you know, there's no job description per se. You just kind of kind of fall into it and you fall into it like a lot of other things is that you see that in this case my community that I live in now is Raleigh Durham North Carolina you know circa eight to ten years ago you see that there's a ton of potential and you see that he's just not unlike a star if we just connected these things a little better and maybe we you know kind of had a different mindset and maybe someone just kind of you know picked this thing up for a while and ran with it you know, geez, we'd all kind of be in a state. And uh, it sounds very much like a startup, I think. And so I was, uh, I think that the, the real trigger for me is circa 2009, I had started reading about Y Combinator and Texas. And a lot of us kind of were enamored by, well, that's a pretty interesting model. Basically, I'm already giving advice and I'm occasionally investing as an angel what if I kind of did this in a more systematic way? And so I, you know, up every tolerator I could find. And the Techstars folks were amazing, uh, David Cohen and Brad Feld. And they basically said, here's, I think by that time, they had just finished their third cohort in Boulder. And uh, I think this was circa September 2009. And, uh, you know, I think the 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 interesting thing from my point of view um, that is really telling here almost eight to 10 years later was they just said, what do you need to know? We'll tell you everything, you know, uh, this is not a zero sum game and we want you to be successful. And I think where David Cohen spent a lot of time talking about kind of the mechanics of an accelerator and how to kind of optimize for that. Brad focused on community and, uh, 
you know, fast forward about eight years from now or eight years later till today, I, you know, ran uh, with a partner, two accelerators in Raleigh-Durham. We invested in 42 companies, put over $5 million into play. But in doing that, we kind of snuck into being community builders and saying, well, geez, we also need startup weekends and we need hackathons and we need better relationships with the universities and we need, you know, a nice inclusive uh, and we need a culture where we help. And you kind of do all these little things and you get involved and the next thing you know, you're dubbed kind of a community builder. Right. And I mean, talk, talk me through really some, some of the change that's, that's been driven in the ecosystem. I mean, I, I would assume, you know, eight years ago when you first started uh, kind of ecosystem building in Raleigh-Durham, there was nowhere near the amount of startup activity that there is today. Um, and yeah, know, and, I mean, so from, from our research, it seems that the, uh, the research triangle park was kind of, you know, one of the biggest, we'll say, anchor institutions and in, in, in kind of, uh, you know, providing the ecosystem talent. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of tech transfer going on, but I, w- I would just be curious to hear from you. I mean, what have been some of the most important institutions and, you know, uh, initiatives in the ecosystem that has, uh, you know, catalyzed and created all this startup activity? That's that's a really great question, and uh, and you touched a little, a little bit on the history. RTP or Research Triangle Park is a little over fifty years old, and in its day was you know kind of the first real kind of um, technical park, um, you know, hosting the likes of IBM and NetApp and GSK, Lenovo and Cisco, and on and on, and you know, counting somewhere between forty and fifty thousand kind of tech employees. Um, but, you know, I think, and the model was, you know, specific park and these really large things with really large companies, but they kind of did a flyover on the startup scene, um, and kind of was more geared towards hosting you when you had scaled to a, to a large degree, you know, um, you know, the 2008 9 what I used to say when I started running around town and I only had lived here about two or three years at this point and so I was kind of new and I had a fresh look and um, the way that I characterized the area is that we were slightly the sum of our parts and everyone should get a small chuckle out of that what I meant was geez there's lots of these things we have three large universities in UNC Chapel Hill and Duke and uh, NC State as well as a few kind of smaller key colleges. We have this research triangle park with 40 to 50,000 kind of tech um, employees talent wise. We have, uh, you know, lots of space. We have kind of three downtowns, if you will, if not more. Uh, We have a growing population, low cost of living. Geez, these are all fantastic ingredients for a recipe. And so, uh, you know, what a few of us started to do was just, convene and connect. We just started kind of meeting usually over beer. I think most great ideas come, you know, with beer. And uh, so, you know, we just started saying, geez, you know, we're passionate about this. I think one of the um, real catalysts uh, happened specifically in Durham, kind of a number number of cities that make up kind of Raleigh-Durham. Durham was an old industrial town that had fallen on its way and lots of empty, cheap, shitty buildings, right? And what do entrepreneurs love? You know, all really 
shitty cheap space. <laughs> and so, um, a local family who are amazing, who are, you know, really big supporters, um, started to put some space together for the startup scene. We call that American Ground today. It's part of the American Tobacco Campus. And the Goodman family invested in space, gave us a place for entrepreneurs to gather and to work out of. We, I put my first accelerator down there as the first tenant, um, hosted a number of other organizations that were supporting entrepreneurs, and we started to create some density. And it's just amazing what happens over time when uh, a whole bunch of crazy entrepreneurs start to kind of hang out together. Um, and, you know, we've obviously uh, grown much farther since Right. And I think that story is very, um, I, I think it's telling of something that, you know, a theme we've seen on the show, something I talk about a lot and something that I've seen you talk about in your talks where, uh, you know, capital really isn't the, the, the foundation of, of a successful ecosystem. It's really that grassroots uh, ability of having a few leaders to bring the community get together and create that density, which creates the activity where, you know, I think we're we're in a point in society where any quality startup with a customer base can get funding. It doesn't have to be, you know, local capital. Um, and, and so I think that's a really good case study of, of an ecosystem. Well, you're singing a beautiful song to me, Andrew, and it's, it's what we, you know, what I, uh, about a year ago, I decided to join Techstars and Brad Feld, who wrote uh, probably one of the seminal books on this called Startup Communities. And join these two to say, listen, how can we take all of our expertise and knowledge and experience and, and bring you know, our, our clear belief is that a rising tide floats all boats and this is not a zero-sum game. And every community has an ability to have some kind of level of startup um, ecosystem as part of it. And, you know, what I say as best, best capital is a lagging indicator of a community. It's not a driver of community. In fact, there's tons of research that shows that more capital does not create more startups. Um, and, you know, even to the point of real estate, real estate's, you know, capital's important, real estate's important, but, um, sorry about that. That was our normal train coming through our, I think our 1130 train, um, with, uh, you know, capital, even space is important, but not critical. the critical aspect are how do people attitudinally, how do they support each other? How do they come together? How do they create kind of one plus one plus one equals 10? or five, right? I do something all of us can. And when you sign up for that as a community, and I'm talking about all of the actors in the community, then that's the foundation from which great communities thrive. Capital, space, talent, all that starts to wrap around that. So we really focus on kind of a set first. Um, and you hit upon it, right? Capital is the best lagging indicator. Right, 100%. And so I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about I mean, especially just with uh, your new role with Techstars, you know, how do you contrast ecosystem building nowadays in, in 2018 to to when you when you started? Because I think a lot of communities around the world, even the ones that you know are, are still maybe lower tier in their in their ecosystem development, I mean, they've been you know r running the playbook of uh, you know Bradfeld startup communities and and doing some ecosystem building over the years. Uh, and so, you know, what, what, what's different nowadays when it comes to ecosystem building? Uh, unfortunately not. Uh, so unfortunately, um, I think that the biggest difference is that 
every city of any size, there's some group of people having this discussion right now saying we need to build, you know, we need a diversified economy. And as part of that, we need startup ecosystems. So what I can tell you is that it's now kind of front and center in the minds of a handful of people, at least a handful of people in every city, regardless of size. And I've spoken to probably 75 to 80 cities just in the last year, maybe 150 different people. And all of them come with the same kind of desire. I think um, when people read Brad Feld's Startup Communities or Victor Wong's um, Rainforest is another great uh, you know, book to reference. What they do sometimes is they skip through the soft stuff and go right to kind of the things that you mentioned before, like, well, it's, you know, if, if we only get a venture fund, that will be fun. Like the, the entrepreneurs will just come run. Or if we build this innovation park, which is usually put out like in the suburbs, it's, you know, we call it the field of dream strategy. Or like if you build it, you know, the entrepreneurs will come and they all still continue to look for this kind of super bullet. One thing they can do that'll just magically uh, kind of propel them, you know, into the upper echelon, the next tier, if you will. Turns out startup communities are not unlike startups. It takes a lot of work, takes a lot of coordination, takes a lot of support. And so, you know, our basic business is to go in and kind of rewire people to think differently about that and to make sure that, um, you know, they build the right foundation. And that is like, let's get lots of people involved. Let's make sure we're supportive of each other. And as you imagine, there's a lot of people who think this is kind of squishy universe rubbing crystals together kind of stuff. Um, but you know, we've lived it and we've seen it in Raleigh, Durham and Boulder and a few other cities, um, that when you build, when the people, when it's, and the people connect on a great, um, kind of in a real connected way, then great things happen. Right. And, uh, so, you know, what's changed, uh, unfortunately a lot more pressure and a lot more visibility for communities. Unfortunately, execution is still trying to use kind of a 1950 style methodology. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that, and you know, I'm I'm still somewhat sympathetic towards economic development organizations, just because at the end of the day, as a as a supporter in the ecosystem, you know, you, you can only really do so much. At at the end of the day, it comes down to the entrepreneurs really just you know stepping up and building companies uh, that's <laughs> going to drive the you know long term sustainable change in an ecosystem. Uh, you know, w one thing I would like to touch on, uh, because I know the university system within uh, Raleigh Durham has been critical to the ecosystem development. Um, you you specifically were an entrepreneur in residence at Westchester University in Pennsylvania uh, for 2016-2017 school year, and I would be curious to hear your thoughts on how a university can can go about implementing that that type of eir role and and what do you think the the, res, the responsibilities of an eir within a university context should be fantastic question and thanks so much for asking that because i have a very very strong opinion here so uh what i loved about i see that uh, you know, similarly in places like duke and and um, nc state and unc chapel hill uh, obviously i see that because i live here the, the universities um, have multiple critical ways that uh, are part of the start. First of all, 
at its very basic nature, the students are a source of talent, right? And it doesn't matter whether it's from internships to jobs to, you know, the startup founders themselves, right? So, you know, you know, sure that that university and all its people are, are kind of have a lot of awareness and connected um, to the greater ecosystem. A lot of times universities can be little islands and, you know, just think about physically like a campus, right, is an island. And so you need to kind of take down those walls and make sure that they're connected. And there's lots of easy ways to do it, like just inviting people, you know, holding events at the university as well as encouraging. And, you know, social media is a great way to kind of encourage students to come to other events in your the second is kind of administration, staff, professors, kind of um, tech transfer people. And, you know, the, the key there is that, you know, most universities have been around for, you know, many, many years, some, some of them, you know, a couple hundred years. And fundamentally, they're kind of structured to have kind of silos. So if you think about like there's colleges, the College of Business and the College of, you know, Health or Geography, right, or Political Science, right? They're structured in these ways. And unfortunately, entrepreneurship doesn't fall in any one of those. You know, entrepreneurs can come from any discipline and work, and at best, work across universities. So one of the things that we kind of push is for this kind of cross-community, uh, cross-college or university approach to entrepreneurship to make it very inclusive. And when you double the kind of inclusiveness with connectedness, then opportunities present themselves for the people so motivated to do so. And so that's what we want. The great thing of what I love about what Westchester, which was my alma mater, um, what they asked me to do is, is say, how, they asked me, how do you want to serve the entrepreneurs in our area and in our college? And so they kind of put it up to me to say, you know, I helped them put some startup weekends together. I helped them, you know, I did, you know, I, I advised students one-on-one. Um, they had a kind of a competition. I did a couple talks and did a couple of visits. So, you know, just look for five or six different ways that they could use me and my kind of entrepreneurial, my entrepreneurial experiences and kind of, and, and blend them in as opposed to saying, well, the only way you can serve us is to teach this class or something, right? Or, or just show up once. And I said, no, 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 it's not about once. I want as many touch points as possible. So there's a, there's a, a smattering of ideas for how universities can help support entrepreneurs better. Awesome. Well, Chris, we're going to finish off with a quick fire round, four questions up to 60 seconds each. How does that sound? Sounds awesome. Let's, let's rock. All right. Give me one CEO of a startup in the, the Raleigh Durham era area that you admire the most right now and why? Heads, hands down, Jed Carlson of a company called AdWorks, A-D-W-E-R-X. Um, Jed was both a mentor in my accelerator program, has become a great friend, and someone that I look to for advice and mentorship myself. What I love is that he's very, very smart. He's very experienced. And when he sits in front of other entrepreneurs, he's a great listener. And he listens, and then when he has an idea, he, he goes on a, a sequence of questions that allows you to get to the answer that you need to get to without telling you what to do. And so he delivers his advice and mentorship so softly and so subtly, but it's extremely powerful. And I love Jed Carlson. 
So if I were coming to the Raleigh-Durham area for, uh, we'll say a, a weekend, give me an idea of one or two things that, that I need to do while I'm in town. Well, you have to head over to one of our two big, the one in uh, Raleigh is HQ Raleigh, um, probably upwards of 75 to 80,000 square feet. Great group of people. Um, Raleigh and Durham's about 25 miles away, so it's not like it's, you know, you need a flight and a visa, um, but two different kind of ecosystems that kind of two parts of the of the are our big hole the other one is the american underground in in um durham and what you'll know is that get one introduction in through me now or anybody else and the world will open up for you visit those places and then uh and just see the energy in both those places of course depending on what time of year see a football game see a basketball game and basketball is the religion here um, you know, with beaches and, uh, and mountains as well. So lots to do over the week. What's your favorite business or success book? Ooh, great question. Um, anything written by Seth Godin speaks right into my soul. And uh, I, I get his every day and I'm looking at three of his books sitting on my desk today that I want to go back and reread. And finally, what's your favorite thing about living in the Raleigh-Durham era? What I love about this area is that we have a combination of kind of, you know, hard work and passion, and yet there's still a little bit of like a sudden gentlemanly thing. And I'm from Philly, so this is like a big difference for me. But there's a, you know, I mentioned that when you show up here, everyone will take your first meeting. This is a real give first um, kind of community, and we can thank Brad Feld for that, coined that term, sunk that in our DNA back 10 years ago. And so what I love about this is that we have people showing up every day, they get connected in, and then I hear stories, I run into a month later and I said, they say, this place is amazing. Uh, you know, everyone's willing to help. And I'm, I'm very, very proud of that. And uh, it's really great to be part of that in the community. Awesome, well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening. Be sure to add Andrew on Snapchat at andberk, that's A-N-D-B-E-R-K, to see firsthand a day in the life of an entrepreneur in cities all around the world. 